You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Thanks for uh, joining us. Thanks for being here. It's good to be together. As Ryan mentioned, uh, we are in this series called uh, Decluttering Your Soul, Sparking Joy. I think I said that wrong. Sparking Joy, Decluttering Your Soul. Way better that way. Totally different. Uh, we are in week four and looking through uh, the book of Philippians and, and looking about how Paul continues to talk about joy, joy this, joy that. It comes up time and time again in this book. And uh, we're going to continue in that same theme this evening. Our, our sort of key text for this series is found in chapter one, verse 10. It says, Paul says, I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the return of Christ. And we've been talking about how when we declutter our souls, we find what really matters, and this brings us joy. And so, again, we're going to continue in that theme this evening, looking at Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7, which says this. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why don't we pray? Lord, thank you for this text. I pray that you would speak to us through it. I pray that it would resonate in our hearts, even now, even this evening, and that, uh, that it would be true of us, that it would be true of our community. And and that you would use it to shape us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I've got a great question here to kick us off. How many of you know what a funambulist is? Funambulist, okay? It's a real word, a lot of blank stares. Uh, once upon a time, it's hard to imagine, but once upon a time, I was, I was pretty cool. I, I lived in Australia I surfed and I did other kind of cool things. And one of the things I did with my cool friends was I, I did funambulism, which is just the technical term for, for tightrope walking, which is just the technical term for slacklining. Okay, it's not that cool. Uh, how many people know what slacklining is? Okay, that's better. That's better. Uh, well, slacklining, what, what a slackline is, is, is you get a two-inch wide, usually it's about two inches, uh, rope, and you tie it from one tree to another or one pole to another, and it's usually three or four feet high, and, and all you do is you get on top of it, and you try and walk as far as you can without falling off. It's like the most simple thing ever, but it's, it's really fun, uh, except for me. I, I do not like slacklining. I don't have a single funambulous gene in my body because something incredible happens when, when I try slacklining, okay? I, I grew up skateboarding and snowboarding and, you know, doing some sports that are a little bit more balance-oriented, okay? It's kind of a weird thing to brag about, I know, balance, <laughs> weird flex. Uh, but, but something happens when I get on a slackline. It's hard to explain, but those of you who have tried it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You put your first foot up. You still got one foot fully on the ground. You're totally secure. And as soon as your foot touches the slack line, your entire leg turns to jello. And it's like you start manifesting some sort of spirit in your leg because it's like you, you can't control it. It's just out of control. No matter how hard you focus or you're, like, you're grabbing it, you're trying to stop, and it's just out of control. 
This happens to me every time, which is why I don't slackline anymore. But one of the things, as I tried slacklining a couple times, one of the things people told me is that it really matters where you focus. It matters where you focus, because typically what we do is we, we look down, we look at our feet when we walk or run or, or you know, play sports. We, we look down, we look where we're going. And, and those of you who have uh, embarrassed yourself in public, tripping on some sort of curb or something, you know it's because you weren't looking where you were going, right? You were looking elsewhere. When you slackline, it, it matters where you focus, but you don't focus on your feet. The temptation is to look down as your leg is just complete jello. But what, what people told me is that it, it matters if you focus on the tree at the end of the slack line, at the end of the rope, you, you find a, a point on the tree and you fixate on it. You focus on it because the tree is not moving. And as soon as you look down, your whole perspective is shaky. Your whole perspective is, is out of whack. I think this is sort of a helpful image for us tonight as we talk about recalibrating our focus. Because I think life is a little bit like a slack line. It's a little bit shaky, isn't it? You know, when you were maybe a little kid, things were a little bit more black and white. It's like you wake up, you get your Cheerios, and then you do whatever the heck you want all day, right? Uh, and, and then as you grow up, it's, it's, you, you maybe still get your Cheerios, but you've got like finances and you've got relationships and there's drama and there's work and there's careers and there's maybe a mortgage or maybe kids and all these things can make you feel a bit unsettled. We, we do our best to juggle and balance as we journey through life, but it's often uh, a little bit more gray than it is black and white, a little bit more uncertain than it is certain and secure. Well, for the church in Philippi, it was like that. Paul writes this letter to this church who had started strong. They had this vibrant community, this great fellowship, ministry, uh, lots of great things happening in their community. But as they grew, they began to experience opposition from the government and their neighbors around them who didn't appreciate their message about Jesus. And then within their own community, they had leaders who were kind of causing some, some fractures, some division within their own community. And then to top it all off, they get this letter from Paul, their fearless leader, the Apostle Paul. And he says, I'm in prison for my faith, for this message of Jesus. I'm now in prison. You can imagine the fear that would have gripped them. The, the ground beneath them would have felt uncertain, a, a bit shaky, the worry, the questions about what was next, everything would have felt like it was kind of out of whack, not totally secure. Well, we come full circle in this series because Paul began the letter encouraging the church to continue on in their faith. And he ends here with sort of a farewell address. And he, he ends his letter and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. And just a couple lines later, he says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't you love that? My, my knee-jerk reaction to this text is to be a little bit annoyed, isn't it? Like, just when you think Paul is going to give you something really rich and deep and profound and that you can kind of hang your hat on, he just says, don't worry, man, about a thing. 
he gives us the, the most classic cliche, don't worry about anything. Just, just rejoice in the Lord. And it's like, okay, thank you, Paul. Anything else? You got anything else for us? It feels like a bit of a cliche, doesn't it? It's okay, we can say that about the Bible. It feels a little bit cliche. So how in the world do we make sense of this? Let me first say this. Paul here is not speaking about uh, clinical anxiety or mental illness. Okay, that's, uh, that's a real thing. Is, and in our community, I know many of you struggle with that or have struggled with that, and I don't want to dismiss that, but, but that is not what Paul is talking about here. But even so, you say, how can Paul possibly say, don't worry about anything? You, you maybe immediately assume he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. He doesn't get my situation, right? Paul, I've got bills to pay, and I've got, uh, you know, a family, and I've got a career, and I've got all these things to juggle, and maybe you've got kids and in-laws to impress, and all these hard things in life. And, and you say, Paul, you don't get it. But I don't think Paul was delusional. I don't think he expected the Christian life to be easy. He's writing this letter from prison. It's hard and complex. And so what is he saying? I think Paul is talking here about a kind of worry, a kind of anxiousness that comes from fixating on the wrong thing, that comes from focusing on the wrong thing. And so my question for you tonight is, what are you focused on? What are you fixated upon? Paul writes to rejoice and not be anxious. But how? It's, it's not by pretending life is simple or easy. It's not by being naive about our, our struggles and the troubles of life and our circumstances, uh, which is often kind of, uh, you know, the cultural mandate of our day is to, you know, don't look for happiness in others or in your situation. Find it in yourself or you know, these five steps to a happy life and these, these best-selling books that offer these quick solutions to complex problems. Be more mindful. Be more grateful. Think better thoughts. Declare more of God's promises. All these things which aren't bad things. They just don't quite satisfy. And so what makes this different? What makes Paul's command here different than, than another cliche? I think really it's just one thing. I want to suggest it's one thing that makes this command different, which is that Jesus is in it. That Jesus is right in the middle of this command. Without Jesus, this command is another cliche. And we could just, we could just wrap up right now and you could go home. Joy can be found amidst the troubles and the complexities of life as we recalibrate our focus onto Jesus, on the one who doesn't change, the one who is good and faithful. Joy can be found in the midst of your circumstances by recalibrating your focus onto Jesus, by shifting your gaze from your circumstances, the things that are wobbly and uncertain, and onto Jesus. There's a joy that comes from that. This is how Paul says. He doesn't just say rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the one who is in control, who is faithful, who is good. You say, why? Because he is near. He says, the Lord is near. And this, this phrase, the Lord is near, this is, uh, in the Greek, this phrase kind of jumps off the page. Many uh, scholars think this is the central point Paul is making, is that the Lord is near. And he kind of means it in two ways. Some of your translations maybe say, the Lord is coming soon. 
which is true. Paul is saying we can rejoice in the Lord because he's going to return and he's going to make all things new again. He's going to make all things right again. And so we rejoice in that. But he also means the Lord is near as in the Lord is close by, as in the Lord is with you. He's, he's close to you in the middle of the gray areas of life, in the middle of the uncertainty, Jesus is there with us. It says rejoice. See, there is a joy and a peace and a calm that comes from recognizing and experiencing the presence of Christ in the midst of our circumstances. It comes from encountering Jesus. And Chad spoke last week on Philippians 3 and how Paul, if you remember the story of Paul, a little bit of Paul's journey, he was, he was essentially like the ultimate Jewish man. He had all the badges of honor. He was born on this day of this week and he, you know, memorized this much scripture and he was essentially like this blameless Pharisee. He had all the badges of honor. And then Jesus shows up right on the road to Damascus. Jesus shows up in the story of Acts. He encounters Jesus and everything changes. Everything changes when Jesus shows up. And that's why in Philippians 3, just a chapter before our text here tonight, okay? One chapter before, Paul is, is writing to the church and he says, you know, I, I used to consider all these things worthwhile, but now in comparison to knowing Jesus, they're utter garbage. They're trash. Your English translation probably says trash or garbage or rubbish. One of those words, those are the words we use, but those are not strong enough words. The word, the Greek word Paul uses there for garbage, it literally means dung. Okay, there's another four-letter English word that may come to mind for you. That is what Paul is saying, okay? Potty mouth Paul gets so fired up about his ability to know who Jesus is, to experience his presence, he says, everything else compared to it is surely garbage. <laughs> surely. You've got to imagine he's sitting in prison. He's got nothing. He used to have everything. He had the reputation, the status. He was in the club of, of Pharisees. <laughs> he had everything. And now he's sitting in prison and he says, I've got none of that, but nothing compares to Jesus. Nothing compares to knowing Jesus. And this, this is the basis for Paul's command to rejoice. To rejoice in the Lord because he's near. Don't be anxious because the Lord is near. He's with you. Unless Jesus is the lens which we see our circumstances through, this command will be cliche will be a bit meaningless for us. Joy can be found in the midst of your circumstances by recalibrating your focus on Jesus. So what are you fixated on? What are you focused on? Is it the promotion, the job, the girl, the guy, the, the schooling, the relationship, things that are, are not bad, things that are good? What are you primarily focused on. Paul says, stop worrying about those things that are uncertain in life, that feel a bit shaky and a bit uncertain, and lift your gaze to Jesus. Well, how do we do this? How, how do we recalibrate our focus? Paul, Paul instructs us. He says, pray. I know it's boring, right? Pray. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
Paul says we refocus by praying, by leaning on Jesus, by calling out to him, by giving him our worries, our thoughts, the things that, that make up a lot of our headspace and our heart space. He says, give them to Jesus. See, we, we battle worry not by pretending things don't exist, not by pretending life is good all the time, but by trusting Jesus with all of our thoughts and our emotions. This is, is what sets us apart as Christians. When we face an unexpected death or, or a sudden job loss or questions about what to do with your life and what career to pursue and all those big questions, this is what sets us apart. It's not our ability to look like we have it all put together. It's, it's not that we don't grieve or mourn or get angry or frustrated, but that we can lean on a God who is near to us. We can rejoice in Jesus, who is good and faithful. He doesn't leave us in those times. This encounter with Jesus changes the whole picture. We recalibrate our focus through prayer. And it's hard not to focus on the things that are uncertain, isn't it? It's hard not to focus on the things that, that we feel like we can control. Paul says, don't worry about those, but, but instead turn to Jesus. Prayer is not about uh, just giving God uh, our list of to-dos, like he's some sort of big blue genie. Prayer is, is less about communication and actually more about communion. It's more about a meeting place where we actually come to encounter Jesus, where we rest in his presence, where, like Ryan said, we rest in his love. We, we meet his, his character, his purposes, his goodness. We're filled up by his spirit, by his presence. One of my favorite stories about prayer uh, it kind of captures this, this view. Years ago, Dan Rather interviewed Mother Teresa, and he asked her, when you pray, what do you say to God? Isn't that a great question to ask Mother Teresa? When you pray, what do you say to God? She said, I don't say anything. I listen. Okay, Rather said, taking another shot at it. When God speaks to you then, what does he say? He doesn't say anything. He listens. Dan Rather didn't know how to continue. He was baffled. And if you don't understand that, Mother Teresa added, I can't explain it to you. See, prayer is about communion with God before it is about communicating words and things we need or want. It's first about his presence and then about petition, about asking him for the things that we need. It's about resting in his presence. See, God doesn't always change our circumstances. You know that well. But something happens in prayer as we shift our focus, as we recalibrate our focus onto Jesus, something happens Paul says we gain a new perspective and it's we gain a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that you can't really explain, that appears like foolishness to other people. It's a peace that goes beyond understanding. See, decluttering your soul may not actually mean you need to get rid of a bunch of things in your life. Maybe some of the things that take up a lot of your headspace you actually can't get rid of. It might just actually mean recalibrating your focus, turning your focus to Jesus, turning to him in prayer, calling out to him, crying out to him, drawing near to him, resting in his presence. 
Encountering him changes everything. Uh, I want to tell you two stories as we close this, this evening. One is old and one is recent. One is epic and inspiring and one is uh, a little bit more ordinary. The author, uh, some of you may know, his name is Horatio Spafford. He, was in the, he was, uh, lived in the 1800s. He was a Presbyterian layman from Chicago. He had established a very successful legal practice as a young businessman and was also a devout Christian. Spafford's fortunes evaporated, though, in the wake of the Great Chicago Fire in 1871. He had invested uh, heavily in real estate along Lake Michigan's shoreline. He lost everything overnight. Just prior to that, he had lost his son to an illness. Desiring a rest for his wife and his four daughters, Spafford planned a European trip for his family in 1873. In November of that year, due to unexpected last-minute business developments, he had to remain in Chicago. And so he sent his wife and his four daughters on ahead as scheduled. He expected to follow them in the next few days. On November 22nd, the ship was struck by an English vessel, and it sank in 12 minutes. Several days later, the survivors were finally landed at Wales, and Mrs. Spafford, his wife, she cabled her husband with this message, saved alone. Spafford left immediately to join his wife, and it said that while he was on the boat to join his wife, he, he penned these words. You've probably heard them or sung them. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How do you honestly write those words from a, a place of deep loss and tragedy and pain? I think it's only through encountering Jesus. It's only through cultivating this communion with him. By meeting him in the middle of that and by inviting him into the middle of that, into the gray and the, the uncertainty of life. See, joy can be found in the midst of your circumstances by recalibrating your focus on Jesus. I'm going to call the, the band up as we close with one last story. Last week, I'm sitting in the office, and, uh, and, and then a guy walks in, and he was just driving by and felt like he needed to, to swing by the house and, and chat with someone. And so I sat down with him and uh, he started telling me a bit of his story and talked about how he was a, a Christian but had sort of drifted away from God. He had sort of been focusing on other things in life. He was living with his girlfriend. He was uh, working, trying to pay off some debt. He was kind of trying to get his life together a little bit. And then his girlfriend broke up with him. And so now he needed to find a new place to live. And on top of that, his car broke down. And so now he needed to find uh, a way to pay for his vehicle. And right in the midst of that, he gets this text from a friend who says, hey, we're, this camp that I work at is looking for male camp counselors. You should come join us. And he said, he was telling me, something about that invitation just resonated. It was kind of grabbing him. He couldn't quite explain it, and so he wanted some perspective, and so we chatted, and 
you know, I just encourage them, whatever, you know, God is calling you to do, whatever you feel like the Lord is prompting you to do, you got to do it. You got to be obedient because God knows best. And so we kind of, the conversation went and we sort of got to a point where he said, yeah, you know what? I think, I think I need to do this. And I feel, I feel okay about this, this decision. And as we're sitting there, he kept mentioning how he, he sort of was far from God and he sort of needed to make things right with God. And, and so eventually I just felt like God was saying, you know, there's more going on here with this guy. And, and I just felt like God was saying, don't wait to do that. And so I just said to him like, man, I don't wanna leave you here doing the hard work of, of you know, coming back to Jesus, you know, sending you out on your own to do that. Like whenever we turn to Jesus, even now, he welcomes us. Whenever we turn to Jesus, church, he welcomes us. And so I was just saying like, man, we can kind of do that now if you want. And he sort of said, you think I should confess my sin and repent and turn my life to Jesus again? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) And, And so we prayed and he confessed and you know, ask the Lord to come and, and fill his life again and give him purpose and direction. And, and it was amazing. And we finished praying and, and then he's kind of sitting there and he just looks and he says, man, I can't explain this, but there's a peace and a joy that I feel about this decision to go to camp. He said, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know what my boss is going to say. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. I don't know how I'm going to fix this car and I don't know where I'm going to live, but there's a peace and a joy that I feel that I can't explain that I haven't felt in a long, long time. Isn't that amazing? Joy can be found in the midst of your circumstances by focusing on Jesus, by turning your gaze, your focus off of your circumstances onto a God who is near and good and faithful. You will experience tough circumstances in life. You're going to lose someone close, maybe. Maybe you already have. You will face questions and and decisions, and you'll worry. But there's a joy that can be found in the midst of that as we turn our attention, as we turn our focus to Jesus. He doesn't magically change everything, but he promises to be near to us. He promises to do the journey with us to stand next to us. And as we rely on him, as we lean on him and trust in him, we get a peace and a joy that surpasses understanding. Why don't we stand together as we close? You know, there's these two words that have sort of been ringing in my heart, in my head the last couple weeks, which are even now. And uh, you know, let me say this, I don't wanna leave you here not making things right with you and God. I don't want to leave you here and send you off and say, have an awesome night without making things right between you and God. And so maybe you feel like you're far from God. Maybe you feel like you've just kind of drifted and maybe just your focus has been on other things. Maybe you want to come forward after the the last song here. We could pray and chat and, and, and talk about, you know, your story a little bit. Because even now we can turn our hearts to Jesus. Even now we can turn our focus to Jesus. And he meets us. He encounters us. He welcomes us. It's amazing. Why don't we pray together? Father, 
Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you are with us, that you're here, God, that you're faithful, you're good, you care for each one of us. Lord, that we can actually trust in you, we can lean on you, we can fall back into you because you are secure, you're, you're steadfast, you're sure-footed. You don't shake when everything else is, is uncertain and shaky in our life. And so, God, we trust in you tonight. We, we turn our hearts towards you. We, we shift our perspective off of our circumstances onto you. And, God, we pray you would encounter us. You would meet us as we do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Audio from the House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.